This episode of Killer Heart to Hearts discusses potentially triggering topics, including mental illness and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Like most parents, James and Deborah Dobb would do anything for their daughter Morgan. But when she announced to them her intention to end her own life, their response was not what one might expect and would test their loyalty to her and to God. This is Killer Heart to Hearts. Welcome back, everyone, to the season four premiere of Killer Heart to Hearts. I am William Cannon. And I'm Elise Budell. That's right. New season, new set of cases that dive into the darkest side of humanity. Now, last season, we tried something different and had a theme for all 13 of our episodes focusing on celebrities, whether the celebrity was the victim or the killer. But this season, we're not limiting ourselves. We're open to all of it. If it intrigues us, we'll discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it is some of these lesser known cases, you know, that don't have famous killers or famous victims, the ones that you've never heard of. Those are the ones that stick with me. Like, those are the ones that I think about at night because it is everyday people. You know, it is your neighbor. Exactly. Now, our first case of the season is a fairly recent one. So some of you might have heard about it before. It just happened in January. And mental illness plays a major role. So before I begin, I just wanted to tell you that if you or someone you know are experiencing depression or suicidal thoughts, we have actually posted a suicide prevention hotline in our show notes. There is help out there. Yes, please. You know, for some reason, there remains a stigma about mental health and mental illness here in America that just completely baffles me. Anyone who's struggling, just know that there are resources out there and you're not alone. You're not alone. And we, as a society, we have to normalize properly addressing mental health issues in this country. That being said, if you feel that this topic might be triggering for you in some way, you might consider skipping this episode. This is The Pact. It was a cold January night in West Manchester Township, Pennsylvania. Snow coated the ground outside, and there was a chill in the air. It was just before midnight on January 24th, 2023, when neighbors heard a loud bang ring through the streets. Ten seconds later, a second bang, and then followed by a third. Then silence. A quiet calm after the storm. What could that have been? Nobody knew. And nobody could have guessed the scene that had just unfolded just feet away from their own home. Their sanctuary. The next morning, a neighbor phoned police requesting a welfare check on a family living nearby. Surely, the neighbor thought that she might be acting a bit overdramatic, calling for a welfare check. But what are neighbors for, if not protective? And maybe a bit nosy? But when police arrived, they knew right away 
this would not be a routine day. When they knocked on the front door, there was no response, so they proceeded to enter the house. It was still, eerily still. Even the dog didn't stir as intruders entered the house. Was the dog sleeping? Perhaps, but odd just the same. The house appeared vacant until they reached the backyard. When the neighbor called police earlier that day, she had mentioned seeing some deflated Christmas decorations on the lawn in the backyard of the Daub residence. But now, police could confirm this was no holiday decor. They had just found all three residents of this house, each one dead with a single bullet through the back of their head, execution style. The bodies were identified as 26-year-old Morgan Daub and her parents, 59-year-old Deborah and 62-year-old James. In her left hand, Morgan held a three-foot-long decorative black and silver sword with the inscription, Sword of the Lord. Taped to the sliding glass door leading out to the backyard was a living will signed by all three Dobbs that no effort should be made to resuscitate them should they be found still alive. There were also three notes found at the scene, a suicide note for each deceased family member. To anyone who knew this sweet, loving, close-knit family, this was a shock beyond comprehension. What could have led to this tragic end? And could anything have been done to stop it? The Dobbs were a deeply religious family. They were devout Christians and conservative Republicans. Growing up, Morgan was very shy and was homeschooled by her mother, who was described by many neighbors to be a bit of a helicopter parent. She often spoke on behalf of her daughter. Morgan was very smart, but wasn't given the confidence to speak up. Around the age of eight or nine, she was introduced to bowling. She was a natural talent and soared at the game. She started taking lessons, and this was when she started opening up and coming into her own as a person. She wasn't around her mother 24 hours a day, but the mother-daughter duo remained extremely close. In 2017, Morgan and Deborah joined an adult bowling league together. Morgan dominated the game. Friends who knew the pair from bowling said that the two were inseparable and didn't seem to have anything negative between them. They did not see Morgan's father James there very often. He was quiet and reserved and did not go to the bowling center much. He had a full-time job while his wife and daughter did not. The Dobbs had always kept to themselves, but if the topics of religion or politics were brought up, they would make their stance known. According to neighbors, their front lawn was littered with pro-Trump and anti-abortion signs strewn across it. Morgan and Deborah were completely hell-bent on Donald Trump winning re-election as if the world would come to an end if he didn't. James was also deeply religious, 
And as demure as the family's disposition was on the outside, religion and politics lit a fire within them all. Deborah seemed to be a strong-willed matriarch within the family, and James lived for his wife and daughter. When the pandemic hit, the reclusive family retreated even further. The trio leaned on each other and didn't have any outlet beyond their household. There was no one to talk to. There were no more bowling competitions to attend. And Morgan Dobb began spiraling down a dark path. For many people, the pandemic tested their limits with loneliness. And Morgan was no different. Now, that is an interesting point, and one, in my opinion, that doesn't get enough attention. Which isn't really surprising considering our country's stance on mental illness, but I wonder just how much the COVID pandemic with all of its lockdowns and isolation, I wonder just, I wonder what effect that isolation had on the overall state of mental illness here in the U.S. Yeah, I, I think it probably had a huge effect. I mean, people are social creatures by nature. So when that element is stripped away, I'm sure it can easily cause duress to anyone who is susceptible to it. I mean, that's why. Solitary confinement in prison is such a harsh punishment. I mean, something clearly shifted in Morgan once the pandemic hit. When you have so much time on your hands, one's mind can just start to wander and sometimes it can take you to very dark places. Living in solitary or with interaction limited to only the people in your household can make anyone stir crazy. But Morgan went beyond that. Something changed inside her and something else took over. She began hallucinating. There were voices in her head, dark thoughts shouting louder and louder at her. She wanted to turn them off, but they wouldn't listen. She had an overwhelming urge to share these dark thoughts with whoever would listen. She started a YouTube channel as an outlet to talk to the outside world. But she soon discovered the outside world was not kind to people like her. She was alone in her thoughts. She was nonsensical in her sentences. Her conspiracy theories were irrational. And she was putting her thoughts out there to be criticized by everyone and anyone. In September 2022, Morgan released the first video on her channel, which she read off of a PowerPoint presentation. In it, she mentioned that she did not create this channel for attention, and no one will likely watch the video anyway. In November of 2022, Morgan released her second video. It was eight minutes long and shows a clear struggle in her mental health. She began the video by speaking in a British accent and announcing that she is abdicating the British throne, saying she refuses to be the Queen of England. She intermittently laughs throughout the recording in a maniacal way that feels scary and unstable. She rambles incoherently about God, the Antichrist, and how she refuses to be Queen. Those who knew Morgan personally 
could not wrap their heads around this being the same person that they bowled with or live next door to. Apparently, something had changed in Morgan Dobb. Dark thoughts had crept in. She went to her mom and told her that she was having audible hallucinations and she couldn't shut them off. They were getting worse and worse until one day she announced to her mom that she was going to commit suicide. It's not clear how long she had been feeling suicidal, but it seems as though she had mentioned these thoughts before. But this time, she was ready to act on them. Rather than try to seek help for her daughter, she responded by saying she didn't want Morgan to die alone. She would join her in this mission. Next, Deborah sat down with her husband James and let him know the plan. James's world crumbled right then and there. How could he learn to live without them? Deborah and Morgan were his entire world. However, he also didn't seem to attempt to stop his wife and daughter and didn't tell anyone of their plan. Morgan chose January 24th in reference to the Bible passage, Samuel 1, 28, which says, After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Now it's not clear how long this plan had been decided, but what is clear is how much thought was put into it. On January 19, 2023, Deborah Dobb wrote and dated a letter explaining the joint decision by she and Morgan to end their lives. She went on to say, There is an evil that is mounted against Morgan and the family. But she doesn't elaborate beyond that. At some point between January 19th and January 24th, James makes the devastating decision that he cannot live without his wife and daughter. He will join them in their pact. Now imagine that for a second. Morgan went to her mother and told her that she was going to kill herself. And instead of getting her daughter the help that she so clearly needed, Deborah basically just said, fuck it, I'll join you. And then the same thing happened with Morgan's father, James. I can't live without either of you, so fuck it, I'll join you. What about treating the disease? You know, like for, for someone to be so depressed that they want to kill themselves, like that's the equivalent of any other serious end stage of a disease. <laughs> you know, like what about treating the disease before it gets that far? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I kept trying to picture what these conversations must have looked like. Was there crying involved, yelling, screaming, begging her not to talk like that? Or, or 
was there like a calmness and resignation to the idea of suicide? I, I, I can't fathom it for an instant. I wonder if they even discuss seeking help. And we'll never know exactly what those conversations were, but what we do know is no one ever did pick up the phone and ask for professional help. I mean, the discussions remained between the three of them. Yeah, mental illness is the only disease that we actively try to hide from everyone. We we don't tell our doctors about it and and the symptoms more often than not we refuse to even treat. I mean, imagine being so ashamed of your diabetes, for example, that that you refuse medical treatment, right? And then when your kidneys inevitably fail and you need medical intervention the most, then at that time you choose suicide over dialysis because you just can't bring yourself to admit that you have diabetes and you need help. It makes no sense, right? So why does it make sense with mental illness? I'll never understand that. Yeah, very true. Deborah then drew up a document called Cooper's Dog Letter, stating instructions on how their dog should be cared for after their deaths. They also explain in the letter that they will drug him so that he will not bite any first responders who enter the home. In similar fashion, Morgan was thorough in tying up any loose ends by writing a document containing predatory steps before ending her life, which included speak to dad, clip the dog's nails, and write other letters to other family members. Finally, Along with the living will, signed by all three family members not to resuscitate them should they be found still alive, they each wrote a suicide note as to how the deaths were carried out. Now these notes made it clear that the deaths were not carried out according to plan, but they should all be considered suicides just the same. January 24th, Morgan released one last video to her YouTube channel. It was a six-second clip of text that read, Follow me as I follow Christ. Just before midnight that night, as Cooper the dog lay in his bed passed out from being sedated, James, Deborah, and Morgan went into their backyard where snow dusted the ground. James would be the first to die. Perhaps he knew that, had he been the last, he may not be able to go through with it. James wrote in his suicide letter that there were only two guns, and his hands were shaky, so Deborah pulled the trigger for him. But that he did commit suicide by his own free will. Then Deborah wrote something almost identical saying that she took her own life by her own free will, but that because her hands were shaky, Morgan then pulled the trigger for her. And then last, Morgan held the sword of the Lord in her left hand while pointing the gun at her head and pulled the trigger. Less than 12 hours later, at 11.15 a.m., police were dispatched to the home where the gruesome scene was discovered and all the pieces to the puzzle were laid out for all to see. But does it all make sense? Let me be clear. This is a closed case of suicide. 
But there were questions that arose as I was looking into the details. Okay, yeah, for me too. Um, one thing that immediately sticks out to me is that if this was a three-person suicide, why would all three of them be shot in the back of the head, execution style? Exactly. But according to the coroner's report, all three family members had a bullet to the back of their head. It would make sense for the mother and father who were respectively shot by someone else, but Morgan shot herself. I mean, shooting yourself in the back of the head seems doable, but a bit awkward and difficult. Right. I'm not saying that it's impossible. It's just odd. (laughs) You know, I can't imagine it's very often that people kill themselves by shooting themselves in the back of the head. I wouldn't think so, no. But the coroner's office determined that autopsies would not be performed as the manner of death appeared to be consistent with the already available evidence. And the county forensic unit also processed the interior of the home. And, I mean, it should be noted that no signs of forced entry were found. There were also no signs of a struggle or indications of anyone other than the victims being present during the deaths. And the position of the bodies, pistols, and the shell casings actually do support the account put forward by the written documents left behind by the family. I'm just saying, that's a weird way to kill yourself. Oh, I totally agree. And you know, the suicide notes actually really stuck out for me. They they seem to be written out during the actual suicides. Like, they're documenting how the suicides unfolded. This is odd. And, and both James and Deborah say almost the exact same thing. Of course, I mean, I haven't seen the actual letters, so I can't say for sure if, like, the wording was exactly how it was written out. But the amount of detail put in about who shot whom seems unusual. Right. Like, it almost goes into too much detail you know like they say that that's how you spot a liar or that's how it's one way that you spot a liar is they can they give you too many details yeah i mean it's a possibility i mean or it could have happened exactly as the police described it and we just don't know and the truth is we probably just will never know because this is a closed case they're not investigating it further All right, guys, so that is The Pact. Now, as always, we are very interested in hearing case ideas from you guys, our listeners. So if there is a story that you'd like us to cover, please reach out to us at killerhearttohearts at gmail.com. We would also like to ask if you like our podcast and want to support us. The best way to do that right now is to like us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Give us a little rating on whatever platform you listen to us on. Maybe write a review on Apple Podcasts. It all goes a really long way, and we really appreciate all the love and support. So thank you so much for listening, and make sure to catch the next episode of Killer Heart to Hearts. Killer Heart to Hearts is produced, written, and hosted by Elise Budell and William Cannon and is engineered by Jordan Calhoun.